Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote unquote summer body as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury free and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. Welcome to All Bodies on Bikes, the podcast, where all bodies are good bodies, all bikes are good bikes, and all rides should be celebrated. All Bodies on Bikes is a movement to create and foster a size-inclusive bike community. So join your hosts. I'm Maggie. And I'm Marley. As we explore the complexities of the biking world, help us break down barriers and create the world that we want to see. And don't forget that all bodies really means all bodies, not just larger bodies but bodies of all sizes, ages, races, abilities, genders, sexualities, and beyond. Come along for the ride. Hey, good morning, Vanessa. Thank you so much for joining us on the All Bodies on Bikes podcast. Really excited to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting. It is exciting. We got to hang out a couple weeks ago in Bentonville um, and I had known about you. We had kind of crossed paths in brief at a couple of different events, but I, and we'll get into this during the show. um, I had the opportunity to learn from you, um, which really made me think, okay, we need to get this person on the show. Um, But before we dive in too deep, let me introduce you um, to the podcast audience. So today on the All Bodies on Bikes podcast, we have Vanessa Bowen. Vanessa Bowen, they, them, is a Danae, also known as Navajo, product designer with a passion for cycling. Their creative focus centers on the juncture of design and social equity. 
Vanessa Bowen. I don't like calling you by your last name. Your your thing yeah. says Bowen, but I like Yeah, it. it's like my friend wrote me a little bio. So I love it. Like, yeah, it's like the way they refer to someone else without repeating themselves apparently. Yeah, so, it yeah. just feels weird to say. Okay, <laughs> yeah, back to yeah, bio. Yeah. Um Vanessa serves as an outright ambassador, uh spearheads the Get Native Kids on Bikes initiative and actively supports the AIDS life cycle ride. When not immersed in their Albuquerque studio, they dedicate their time to cycling training and fostering community connections for a fair and inclusive future. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Yes, I'm so excited. Yes, please bring on the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your bio, I feel like, gave us a little teaser, but I would love to hear in your own words, who are you? You know, tell the audience uh, who you are. Yeah, so I always like to start saying I'm a an artist first. Uh, that's really how I got my start in my career. I was a painter and illustrator, turned into a graphic designer, and not to date myself, but I grew up during the time where AltaVista existed and MySpace, so I got into coding and programming. So that kind of followed through into where I am now in the tech space. So I'm a product designer. I basically design like enterprise SaaS and mobile apps and such. But yeah, I've been a lifelong cyclist ever since I was a young kid. I rode my bike on res dirt roads and that passion has followed me into adulthood. And I feel like it's my escape. And a little known fact is that I have ADHD and I find that cycling and is like a great way to treat ADHD and I cannot recommend it enough if you are a person with a neurodivergent um you know like if you have ADHD like myself yeah I feel like we could do an entire episode on how cycling has helped me personally with my ADHD um yeah. so I I relate deeply to that um also I love the throwback to Alta Vista and MySpace yes. um were you so I was always a very lazy MySpacer um like I you know maybe would put up like a flashing glittery banner and then I would forget about it for three months and never update my top eight were yeah. you like an active MySpacer and I was because I grew up um during the time when I guess I was like an early club kid, if you will. So being on top of, you know, events and who is who, uh, I started graphic design gigs as creating posters for my friends who were promoters. So yeah, it was, I had to be active and I guess, yeah, it was kind of like the start of social media, if you will. So yeah, really fun. <laughs> Dang. Actually, I, I say this a lot, but I just got chills thinking about that because yeah, I think about, you know, the early days of social media, um, that is where we heard about things, you know, yes. and it, it's kind of wild to to think about how we all found out about these events before yeah. it was just like in our face and on our phones all the time. But that's really cool. I love that you've carried yeah. that into adulthood and really kind of built on those skills. Yes. Um, well, let's talk about bikes a little bit more. So you mentioned that you've been doing it since you were a kid and I did some like Instagram stalking. Um, <laughs> maybe it wasn't your, maybe yeah. it's your website, <laughs> but you got your first bike at five, I believe. Yeah, it was my fifth birthday and my parents bought me this like pink coffee bike and my dad set it up. I was so eager to get on it because I have older sisters. I'm the youngest of six. So when I finally got my bike that would fit me and only me, that was like the best day of my life. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember riding my older 
siblings and friends bikes and not being able to reach the pedals so yeah that's a that's a huge thing um and you mentioned that you were riding it on the reservation um can you tell us about how your identity as an indigenous person as a Dene um navajo person has shaped your experiences both you know in life and on the bike yeah so honestly i felt as if i was i grew up in such a tight-knit community where everyone around me was Navajo. So honestly, I, I, I don't know if it's like naive of me to say, but I honestly thought like the world was like all Navajo, if you will, um, because I really, there wasn't really like a need to talk about anything beyond like your family, your community, you know? And so I, I was, I had this like bit of like culture shock, if you will, because unfortunately I almost lost my mom when I was like, like soon after my birthday. Um, she sorry. got in a horrible car accident and she was in the hospital for her, uh, seemed like forever. Um, but, but growing up there and then, of course, being Navajo, I realized like once I had to move away from home to have my older sister care for me, I had to go to Phoenix, Arizona. And then I realized like, oh, wow, like I am the minority. Like that really like hit me like, whoa, oh, my God. Like it was such a shock. But I feel as if because I grew up in such like a, a cultural space, you know, I felt very close to the land and there was nothing that I loved more than that, you know, because it was just a rather simple way of living. Um, you didn't we didn't have like riches, if you will. So like being able to go explore and ride my bike and, you know, really be a part of it and, you know, climb those climbs um, and feel the earth like yeah there's like a deeper connection I feel like to land if you, as like an indigenous person yeah it's a it's a different from everything that I've learned and read and um I by no means of an expert on this but I, ha- I have learned so much just about the way that you know my I'm, I'm a white woman our relationship and the way that we think about the land is so different um and I think we could learn a lot from in well, we 100% could learn a lot from indigenous cultures. Um, I recently learned about the concept of reciprocity um, to the land where it's okay to, you know, to build a fire or to to harvest stuff, but how are you giving back? Um, and how are you thanking the land for that? So um, just something I've been thinking about a lot, especially as I ride bikes um, and kind of get out into these more natural, um, I don't know, un- unfucked with places, I guess is yes. the best way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like a deeper connection, I feel like, because, you know, my my family, like the elders, they would live in remote places deep in the Navajo Nation and their floors were like just straight dirt. You know, their homes were hogans, as we call them. And so they're just made straight from the earth. So, you know, there's not really that disconnection that we often have in the modern world. Like you are living it, you are thriving in on the earth you know so I feel like that's like a really big prominent um, takeaway that I have just as a Navajo person sure yeah thank you for sharing that um, so you were recently in Bentonville um, at the people for bikes shift conference and I had the pleasure of attending the talk that you gave um, with a couple other indigenous folks um, and it was I forget the exact title it was I think the benefits and drawbacks to recreating on tribal land and yes. I learned a ton, but for the podcast listeners who weren't able to go to that session, um, can you tell us, you know, what that was about, what you talked about? Um, what do we need to know about recreating on tribal lands 
um, especially riding bikes? Yeah, uh, I feel as if not many people know that, for instance, the, what is it, the Great Divide, you know, it goes down from north to south, mostly through the southwest and such. Um, but many riders don't see or know that they are actually entering into tribal lands. I feel as if being an indigenous person, we're often fighting against erasure. Um, a lot of people don't realize that we are still here. Um, sometimes it's a culture shock to others. Like when I moved to Massachusetts when I was super young, a lot of people thought we were like figments of the past, you know, because everything was like in a historical context there on the East Coast. But as you go West, you know, there's more, um, you know, for me, like the Navajo tribe were the largest. And so you can't miss us, you know, like we are here living embodiments of, you know, we are Native people, but, you know, I feel like there's not that understanding broadly that we're not that historical chief figure that's in the black and white tintype, you know, that we are actually living, breathing and still thriving. So having that talk uh, at Shift 23 and just talking about recreation on tribal lands, it's super important because one, yes, we are still here. Two, we need to make connections with tribal communities because believe it or not, they're around. And a really cool thing was I soon after Bentonville, I went straight to this uh, American Indian Science and Engineering Society uh, conference up in Spokane. And I met the Apple Maps team. And in my presentation at Shift, I took a screen capture of something called the checkerboard. That's where I grew up. And basically, back in 1887, the Dawes Act was passed where it basically tried to take trust land that indigenous people live on and convert it into like more private property. Uh, but people like most native people weren't prepared to like take on the taxes and etc. So a lot of like land loss occurred at that time. So like it transferred. And so now there's this mixed use land that exists. And if you look at a map, it does look like a checkerboard. But at ACES, I met the Apple Maps team and I was able to tell them like, hey, your work that you've done, because they've been working hard on putting in more indigenous representation and boundary lines within the Apple experience. So you'll notice that. So I encourage I encourage everyone to like, just go onto Apple. I think Google Maps even has it, but you could see nearby tribal nations, which is really rad. Um, but yeah, it will just kind of give you like an indication of, you know, well, who's who and what, you know. So I feel like that's like a big point is like a lot of like the cycling industry should, you know, make connections and reach out and with the tribal communities around. And also I did share like a big fact in my talk was about, um, a fact was 80% of the world's biodiversity is held within indigenous lands. And we make up, you know, less than, I think it was 15% of the world's population. So that's quite shocking. And so literally native people are stewards of the land. And so if, you know, and I feel like we should advocate for indigenous people, preservations of sacred sites, et cetera. So yeah, it's like really important. And just know that, you know, we, we should all work together to preserve our, you know, our earth because climate change is real and we're facing the effects now. And so, yeah, it's super, super important. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, your talk really opened my eyes. Um, 
especially with the, the checkerboard example and what you were just talking about, um, you know, that that erasure and that land loss, I think was honestly probably intentional. They knew that folks weren't set up to pay taxes um, because from everything I understand, property owner like land ownership isn't really a concept for a lot of indigenous communities. Yeah. It's a it's a communal thing. We don't own this land. We we take yeah. care of it. We we steward it. And it's here for generations forward. Yeah. Um, and so it's just something I've been thinking about a lot. A lot. Um, you know, I live in Arkansas, but drive through Oklahoma frequently. And we go through, you know, the Muscogee Nation and a, a couple of other nations. And um, yeah, I, I just think about, you know, how could these bike events or gravel events just do better? You know, I think, does it start with awareness? Um, you know, do you have any suggestions for those of us who are recreating? Like, is it is it just an awareness piece or is it more than that? Yeah, I feel like it, one, it's awareness for sure, because that's a way to educate. Secondly, realizing that, you know, cycling can be inaccessible. Like, honestly, for me, even it's a stretch. I have to budget for it. So like, you know, putting action behind those words, like provide those free events, um, you know, passes or like even these amazing travel stipends so you know I was a fortunate recipient of like the Mid-South Get Here grant last year or this year and oh gosh it just seems like forever you know it feels like last yeah. year I yeah no this year in March of 23 yeah, yeah. yeah I, a lot has happened since then but you know just putting action behind words because yeah like cycling is a luxury quite honestly the the price of the bike the maintenance you know there's just so much like cost to it. So at the very least, make that like a point, like just throw the money at it. Like there's no, you know, land acknowledgements are nice and, and great, but just, you know, that action just speaks louder. And yeah, teaming up with your tribal community, like knowing what their their wants, their needs, their goals are and help support. And just like, you know, the problem I find, like even working with nonprofits, being a board member and also trying to run my own little nonprofit, it's um it's really hard to get capital because you're tending to you have to get those reports that really take away from the actual work. So it's like, can we not do this? Like can you just like give the money? You know, and I feel like that's the biggest complaint I hear from everyone who is like in venture capital. It's like there's so many hoops you have to jump through just to get just a few drops of money, you know. So yeah, yeah. I could go into a big tangent, but I'll refrain. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a separate conversation because we are yes. we are also jumping through those hoops now as all bodies on bikes. And it it does create a barrier, especially when yeah. the work that you're trying to do is so urgent. Um yeah. well let's jump into that. Um you are, I believe, spearheading um the Get Native Kids on Bikes initiative. Um, and I feel like you, you know, teased this a little bit about how cycling um, is, is such a privilege. And so you're trying to, like you said, get native kids on bikes. Um, can you tell me about that initiative and, um, what you're trying to do with that? Yeah. So I dove in as a product designer using design thinking, you know, user experience, et cetera. So big passion is like, I thought of myself as a kid, like for, to be able to get a bike or even let alone afford it would just seem impossible sometimes so I decided to pursue more bike mechanics um, I got my certification from the U of Q Institute but RIP because they're no longer here but 
I was able to like learn amazing skills and wherever I can, I go and build bikes for the community. If someone needs their bike fixed, I'll like assist because that is uh, such a barrier for most people. They can't maintain their bikes. And there are many amazing organizations across the Navajo Nation, for instance, like we have Silver Stallion, we have Sihasen Bike Project, we have Navajo Yes, like these are great organizations. Uh, but I find like people do throw their, you know, they give them the bikes but yet what's missing is the sustainable ecosystem that is needed. You know, we, I need to, I find that I need to go out there and I need, I need to teach um, others how to maintain bikes, you know, because uh, that's like a missing component. And that's what I would like to see is just like this ecosystem that will continue to care for and, you know, just keep cycling um, like at the forefront within communities. So I came in thinking, okay, I could use my bike mechanic certification and knowledge and uh, teach as much as I can. So right now I just got a fiscal sponsorship. So that's been amazing. Congratulations. And thank you. And so now I'm just gonna spearhead and possibly partner with other organizations that already have curriculum. And, but my whole point is I want to add this edge of cultural perspective and incorporate corporal, uh, cultural knowledge um, you know, just like really instill in our students or the cycling participants like that level up for the land. And, and yeah, I feel like that's like a super important component that is missing. Um, so yeah, that's where, where I foresee this initiative going and how I could be of service to my community. Yeah. Um, and I, I noticed on your website that um, the Get Native Kids on Bikes initiative is using some knowledge that was gained through the Tribal Data Championship Fellowship. Um, can you can you tell me about that? Was that like a data research project, and how did that um, influence the work that you're doing? Yeah, so I was thankful to get a fellowship uh, through the University of New Mexico for the Tribal Data Champion Fellowship. Basically, they helped us gain more like data analysis or research. Uh, methodologies, but more or less it's like indigenous research methodologies. And how can we go into the community, you know, ask the right questions, um, use the data um, to, you know, inform our next steps forward, but also, you know, taking our data, you know, and, and treating it at the, like with the most ethic, ethical ways of like handling it and doing good and right by our community. So that was an amazing, like one year long uh, fellowship. And uh, if anyone is out there who's native or indigenous, like definitely go seek it out. Cause yeah, I learned so much through it and cannot recommend it enough. And that has helped me set the foundation in where Get Native Kids on Bikes is going. Are you able to share any of your research findings or like, you know, things that point out that that stand out to you of like, okay, here's like a major gap in our population. This is what getting native kids on bikes will help accomplish. Do you have yes. anything like that? Yeah. So I first initially started out thinking, okay, I'm going to go in and I'm going to go get bikes and I'm going to hand them out, you know, and that's how it initially started. But through the research, you know, identifying other uh, community organizations who are doing the work, uh, it really highlighted that missing component of this like sustainable ecosystem that I spoke about and how we need to like reinvest into the community, teach these skills and knowledge, and then, you know, 
hopefully that could just build up other amazing bike mechanics and, you know, they could go out and, and, you know, help maintain bikes and such. So, and I hope also it instills the love of cycling as well, uh, because yeah, like biking out on the Navajo Nation, it's vast, it's beautiful. I, I cannot recommend it <laughs> enough. It's so beautiful. But yeah, so some of the findings are just like, yeah, one, it's inaccessible. Um, two, like finding real estate space on the Navajo Nation is, an, is a problem. Um, it just takes years to get something built. So even having like a, a storefront seems nearly impossible. So the option for like a mobile bike shop came into mind because then you're like kind of in and out and then you could actually go to the places that are more remote. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of driving sadly, but you know, I feel like it's important because yeah, that's like the only solution at this point. So yeah, a lot of research in the past, a lot of learnings. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to actually get into the community and do more work. So just building those partnerships and, you know, trying to get all the events on the, on the calendar and hopefully that works with mine. Um, because as you know, I, I do races or events. And so, yeah, it's a lot of juggling, but we'll get it figured out. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of juggling, but I, man, I love that so much. Cause yeah, such a good point. You know, I think a lot of orgs give out bikes and then there isn't that, that follow-up of, Hey, I mean, bikes can be fairly low maintenance, um, but not always, even just, you know, let's keep your tires aired up. So you're not getting flat tires. Let's make sure you know how to lube your chain, tighten your brakes, just, you know, fairly basic things that are going to both enhance somebody's experience, but also keep them safe. Um, so I, I really love that you, you know, had this idea and then use the research to kind of reevaluate. And I think that's a huge learning for every nonprofit, um, you know, or every org, we all set out with one objective in mind and then making sure we step back and evaluate. So thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, so you're also involved in a million other things. You mentioned some of the races and events that you do. Um, one of the things that stood out to me on your Instagram was that you're involved in the AIDS life cycle ride. Um, we had a couple guests on a couple months ago. Um, we will put a link to that in the bio, that episode in the bio where they talk extensively about it, but I would love to hear about your experience. What draws you to that ride and that community, why it's important. Um, tell us about it. Yeah. So as a non-binary person, and I feel like I really stepped into this identity recently because I've always felt that growing up. Um, the cool thing about our Navajo culture is that, you know, we, we don't have the binary gender. Uh, we have more than that. So it just fit well, but I never really had the word to quite describe it. Um, you know, my if you met any of my friends or family, they would say it was such a tomboy growing up. Um, but it, I don't think it was really tomboy. I think it was just more or less like being comfortable being both masculine and feminine and, sure. or neither you know or just being me so I kind of never really fell into those like gender role or you know presenting a certain way because of how you identify like it never really mattered to me so being non-binary has been more of the forefront and I embrace it because yeah I feel most comfortable there um so as a queer person, and also a little known fact is that I DJ. I don't DJ as much as I used to uh, because, you know, just life in general. But I love like Detroit techno, Chicago house, and if the blacker and or queer it is, the better. So 
a lot of my community is in, in that space and they just love me and have brought me on this journey of like healing and it's been super amazing and I will not trade it for anything. So I also wanted to, you know, support in other ways than just being a part of that community. Um, so a friend of mine, his name is Aaron Clark. He spearheads this like uh, Pittsburgh crew called Poncho. And he just invited me to do AIDS life cycle because he would see my stories of just like cycling nonstop. And so he's like, you would be great here. So I, I looked into it and I kind of did my own research and kind of seeing what, like how these organizations impact indigenous communities. There wasn't much there, but you know, there's a deeper problem that is present. It's uh, basically, uh, they call it data survey surveillance. So data surveillance is basically getting into the nitty gritty of details. Instead of saying, are you Hispanic or non-Hispanic, um, data, don't, they don't like collect more of the finer details of like, you're not, or what are you, you know, they don't go into the details of like, which tribal affiliation are you? Mm. So therefore it really misses um, information on how to track indigenous people. So on data, it would say like, oh, it doesn't affect indigenous peoples, but it it's actually quite opposite because we do have, we are impacted by public health issues, like, like way far greater than you'd realize. But since we don't track it, it's hard to tell. So then that also proves to this like concept of indigenous erasure. So my whole point was doing this ride to not only honor members of my community who have passed from AIDS or HIV, but also to push like this importance of, we need to do better at data surveillance. And then also as I do the ride, I would say I'm in the land of the Kumash, you know, or, you know, whatever. Like there's like so many, um, amazing tribal nations that we pass through and people have no idea and so my whole point in that was just to bring it to the forefront be there in person and you know talk to people and just like get build that awareness um so yeah that was like the whole point of AIDS life cycle I'm gonna do it again next year looking forward to it and if you haven't tried it or looked into it I highly recommend it like you know they're doing they're doing the good work and it's really impacting um you know, it's doing that positive work. And I feel like that's super important. Yeah. Um, we will have a link to your fundraising page um, in the bio and we will put a link to it on in the Instagram stories because every rider has to raise $3,500. Yes. Um, we typically get 500 or so downloads per episode. If everybody cool. donated five bucks, that would get you a big chunk of the way there. Um, so we will put a link to Vanessa's uh, fundraising in there. But oh man, you raised so many good points about data erasure and data collection and public health. And um, I know, especially, I'm about to say the the O slur, the obesity slur. Mm-hmm. I hate that word. We haven't talked about it much on the show, but um, indigenous communities are also impacted by um, body size issues and yeah. access to clean water and whole foods and clean air and just every public health um, issue imaginable impacts indigenous communities. And I think you raise an amazing point about the data gaps around it. So thank you for doing the hard work around that. Um, Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So um, coming kind of towards the end of our conversation, although I could legitimately talk to you all day. um, (laughs) So you mentioned that you've got some races and events coming up. So in addition to like all the 
the on the ground work that you're doing for your community and for your tribe. Um, you're also doing some stuff, I wouldn't say for yourself, but some like more, I don't know, individual challenges. Um, what's on your plate for next year? What do you, what have you got going on? Yeah. Um, so shout out to my coach, Shana Palace. She's amazing. She literally has worked with, I was on the couch literally. And I was like, okay, I need to do something because I just recently got my ADHD diagnosis. So I wanted to get back into something because I remember when I was younger, that was the one thing that really made me like, you know, get my head on right, if you will. So my plan for next year is to do the same sort of events that I have been doing. Uh, I do want to go to Mid-South. I you have some redemption there. <laughs> I don't want to get injured again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you I, gotta... got, I fractured my ankle and I was on crutches for eight weeks. Oh. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, I want to do that again. Um, I want to do Foco Pondo again. A big one that I'm really thrilled about. Not only am I going to do the AIDS life cycle, but the next following month, I'll do the West Fjord Way Challenge. Um, I just Tell us to- more about that because that is a huge challenge. Oh my gosh. Well, I they haven't announced it yet. So I don't know if you want to like redact this part, but I got the scholarship to go. And so they gave me the scholarship and they're going to pay for you know, part of the flight over and I'm going to take the opportunity yeah, to Iceland and I'm going to do it because it's, you know, closer to 600 miles, but, you know, doing AIDS life cycle, I feel like that 545, you know, I'm like, oh, mentally I could do this, you know, and that's cool because AIDS life cycle, they always say like, it's, it's a ride, not a race. And so that's kind of the same mentality I'm going to take. Like, you don't have to be that super crazy competitive athlete all the time, you know? Um, I don't know why everyone always feels like that's the only way you can validate yourself as a cyclist sometimes, but you know, I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a ride, not a race. That's the same mentality I'm going to take. I'm going to enjoy it. And the cool thing about Westfjord Way Challenge is that they have cultural stops. And so I just want to have this like culture exchange that occurs between us. And I would love to learn more. I'm super thrilled. Yeah. I'm going to take it. Um, one day at a time, one pedal stroke at a time, but I know I'm going to do it with that mentality. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. You've got some exciting things coming up for sure. Um, one question I thought about you had mentioned earlier, um, riding on the Navajo nation. Um, do you have any routes that we can link to in the show notes, um, that you would recommend for folks who might be in that part of the country and looking for a, a ride? Yes, I do. I have several, um, rides and routes i could give you a travel link and also to back that up navajo yes is like the recreation organization on the navajo nation and they also have different uh race series so if you're a mountain biker road biker etc there are routes that they have and you could come through and race those events as well so if you want to you know have like a more supported or you know like a group ride with everyone i would recommend that but yes i will share those links Awesome. Thank you. Um, and I will likely make them ride with GPS because ride okay. with GPS is a, a partner of all bodies on bikes. And okay, we can um, convert them. <laughs> yes. Um, I love Strava for for other reasons, yeah. but when I am navigating, I'm I'm a ride with GPS girly. There you um, go. Yeah. So um, before we get into our final two questions that we ask every guest, um, is there anything else you want us to cover and anything else you want to talk about? Oh, there's so much. I just, you know, want to encourage everyone to take 
you know, take a moment to just, you know, look at the map and see what other tribal nations are around you. Uh, make an effort to go and see if there's like a cultural museum. You'll learn a lot there. Uh, sometimes they like actually have like indigenous people run the museum that you could like talk to. And, you know, it just takes like one person and making those connections. And I feel like that is like a good way to just get more understanding, um, you know, and see how you can help. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have for now. But yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and so when I kind of an additional question on that, um, I use nativeland.ca um, as my kind of resource when I'm looking. Um, is that one that you would recommend? Yes, Do you have any other definitely. resources? Okay. Yeah, I definitely recommend that. They do like a really good job at, you know, um, identifying who's who in your area. So definitely recommend that. But, you know, I find that now that Apple is doing like a great corporate responsibility of including uh, land representation of indigenous tribes, like that's also another way. But yeah, land, uh, like, yeah, nativeland.ca. Yes, cool. that's the one to go to. Thank you. That is good to know. Um, we will also have a link to that. And now I'm going to go research this Apple project because that sounds really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, there was this native guy. His name is Marcus Yazi. He's like Dene as well, but he was on that team to, to help with the in including the land representation. Very cool. I'm definitely going to going to go look that up. Um, so, yeah. So. In closing, Vanessa, we have two questions that we ask every guest. Um, the first is, what is your perfect day outside? Ooh, wow. So I'm kind of a baby, <laughs> but if it's like perfect weather, you know, like 70 degrees and it's, you know, sunny. Being from New Mexico, I love when there's not really a cloud in the sky because uh, you could look for miles and miles. Um, that's usually my perfect day of riding and it's just you know a longer ride like I love doing 40 miles uh, just taking it all in and taking my time and stopping when I need and ending the ride with either a coffee or um, like a, a New Mexico burrito with uh, green chili and red chili on top. <laughs> that sounds so good. Yes. I just read an article about the the debate or the the feud between New Mexico and Colorado about yes. who makes the best green chili. Yes, yes they really, they're at odds, but I feel like New Mexico has the best chili. Uh, if you haven't had Hatch Green Chili from Hatch, New Mexico, you're missing out. And yeah, don't listen to Colorado. They, <laughs> I mean, I love them, but, you know, green chili is kind of generational at this point, so you can't, mm. you can't touch it. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, totally. That's like yeah. somebody telling me I to get matzo ball soup from a store. I'm like, yeah, uh -uh. yeah. like yeah. no, this uh -uh. is we make it at home. We yes. don't, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, that's yeah. you heard it here. All folks. the love, Colorado. All the love. <laughs> but get your green chili, your hatch green chili in New Mexico. Yeah. Um, and then the very last question. Um, we had a wide ranging conversation. You know, we talked about research. We talked about bikes. We talked about nonprofit work. Um, what else? Like. Is there another topic that you wish people asked you about and you got to talk about more? Oh, geez, that's a good question. Well, I feel like anything indigenous, honestly, like I feel like a lot of people don't understand it, really. Um, even talking to people when I say I'm Navajo, like that really just goes over their head. 
So I think being when I have to, I had to be more specific and use like more common knowledge or language. Like I am Native American from the tribe, you know, like I have to spell it out very uh, specifically or explicitly. Um, that's the only time then it kind of clicks of like, oh, you know, because sometimes I feel like I do say I'm Navajo, but no one, it goes in one ear and out the other. So yeah, I feel like I wish people would talk to me more about that or even just like, even like the queerness within like the Navajo tribe in our culture, like I feel like that's a really cool um, topic to discuss. And yeah, it just, it just leads into this like idea and concept that you should be authentically you without any societal expectation because you are divinity incarnate, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so it gets like really deeper, like it's really amazing when it gets to that level because it's like you are celebrated for who you are and nothing more. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I love that. And thank you. Um, if folks do want to reach out and chat with you more about this, um, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at the Vanessa Bowen. Uh, yeah, feel free to DM me, follow me. Uh, I look forward to hearing from everyone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa, for your time. Thank you for your work, um, getting native kids on bikes, um, yes. for educating us. Um, I know it's not always the most joyful thing is to tell white people what's going on in the world. Um, <laughs> but really, really appreciate your time and your energy and what you're doing in the world. So yeah, thank you. Um, yes, be well. You too. Thank you, Marley. Have a good day. You too. Bye. This is an All Bodies on Bikes podcast powered by Feisty Media. The show is produced by Maggie and Marley and edited by the team at Feisty Media. Thanks for listening. Are you tired of getting caught in the rain with poorly fitting, flimsy rainwear? Well, let me introduce you to Cleverhood, makers of thoughtfully designed, durable, and size-inclusive rainwear. Cleverhood is designed by women, but is made for everyone who wants to embrace the elements and enjoy the ride, no matter the weather. Cleverhood was born out of the need to make rainy days into happy days, and with multiple choices of styles and sizes, all bodies can stay dry, visible, and happy. Maggie and I especially love their rain cape. Literally, the only thing you need to fit is the head hole. Otherwise, it just fits. It's so cute and functional, and I feel like a superhero when I ride my bike in it. All of Cleverhood's designs have reflective elements thoughtfully integrated, including an option to customize it with the All Bodies on Bikes logo. They're also sustainable, with most of their fabrics made from recycled fibers and PFC-free DWRs. Social sustainability matters to Cleverhood too, who, and they only work with certified producers who follow la labor and environmental standards, and they give nearly 5% of their profits back to community organizations, including All Bodies on Bikes. So whether you're commuting on a dreary morning, walking your dog in the rain, or waiting for the bus, Cleverhood is a great option. And remember, you can use the code ALLWEATHER for 15% off of your order.